Welcome to Horror Origins. My name is Matthew Tanzik, and over the course of this podcast, we're going to be delving into horror firsts, dissecting their genesis, and learning a bit more about the history of the cultural world that has sprung up around us. This is episode two, where we're going to be taking a look at the first work of fiction to feature an invisible monster. The author is Fitzjames O'Brien, and the story is, what was it? A mystery. So let's break things down so we know what we're getting ourselves into. We're first going to be taking a look at the concept of invisibility in literature, then the concept of the monstrous, and then we're going to be taking a look at the story itself and the legacy it's had since its inception. Did you feel that? I could have sworn I heard footsteps and that heavy breathing. That's not you, is it? I know that there's only these old chairs and the fireplace in this room, but I think we better get going. So, the context for invisibility in fiction. Well, let me state here at the top that unlike other concepts talked about on this show, or concepts we will be talking about on this show, invisibility does not really have a clear starting point. It seems people have been talking about and dreaming about being invisible since we've had imaginations. In terms of recorded history, we can cite to things such as the Ring of Gyges, which is mentioned in the Book 2 of Plato's Republic which is really the granddaddy to the One Ring from Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It grants the wearer the ability to turn invisible at will, and in the Republic, it is used as a device to set up the question of whether or not an intelligent person would be driven to corruption if there was not the chance that he would be caught and punished for any potential crimes. Now, setting aside the topics of moral philosophy and superpowers, I think that this cuts at the heart of what makes invisibility so appealing to possess and so scary to be pitted against. A person, or a monster, not being mutually exclusive there, mind you, sim simply can't be easily defended against. Their faces can't be scrutinized when talking to them, and so any threat that they are putting against you, be it dripping claws or social, social espionage, bypasses our primary way of re re retrieving information, which is our eyesight. Now, perhaps when you first read the title of this episode, your mind immediately went to the famous H.G. Wells piece, The Invisible Man. And while that piece did a lot to popularize what it would be like to be invisible in the minds of the readers of Pearson's Weekly, the periodical where it was serialized, the concept of the invisible monster first appeared in popular fiction nearly four decades before that story was written. But let's talk about what, what it means to be a monster. Well, monsters, like the concept of invisibility, is not something that can easily be pinned down. The word monster comes from both Latin and French, and means roughly something that is malformed or aberrant. It is a concept that reminds us, perhaps, that humanity is not immutable, but rather is fragile and corruptible. It places into our fiction and into our minds an entity that can't be counted upon to act normally, and rather it is a perhaps a deviant inwardly 
just as much as it is outwardly. Monsters are inscrutable and not unlike the thoughts behind invisibility, very hard to predict. To give us all a better understanding of monster, let's take a look at some of the more famous fictional monsters that would have been kicking around in people's minds prior to the publishing of our first invisible monster here. Well, of course, we have to mention Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. That was written in 1817 and, of course, is a great example of a monster. But so too is the 10th century story of Beowulf, uh, the antagonist there being Grendel, and in those two stories, on the one hand, you have a tale that points equally to the aberrant nature of the monster, as well as the evils of society that spawned him. And on the other, you have the very black and white epic struggle against, um, you know, man against the monster, which is the Beowulf story. Shakespeare can even get in on the popular monster, although his only true monster in this sense may be perhaps his Caliban of the Tempest, which was written about 1610. This Taliban, um, or rather the monster, is the spawn of a witch, which has one of the coolest names in Shakespeare, in my opinion. Um, the witch that spawned the monster is Psychorax. The monster has fish-like characteristics and is without the form of a man and without, quote, civilized culture. So let's get to it then. When was the first story to combine these two concepts, the corrupting, undetectable power of invisibility and the aberrant perversion of humanity that is the monstrous. So when sitting down to do some research into the first invisible monster, I was sort of beside myself when I found out that it was written by our old friend, friend Fitzjames O'Brien, the same author we covered in episode one. And no, I did not intend for this to become an O'Brien show. The story uh, is comically called, what was it? A mystery. All right, so... Let's take a look at this story, since we already know O'Brien. We can skip over that. Well, the story, much like the later and more widely read The Diamond Lens, which worked to really popularize O'Brien, it shows a beginning of a shift, shift in this type of literature to one of realism, rooted in scientific and real-life relatable locations and people. The story revolves around an unnamed narrator that has recently moved with the rest of the tenants of his apartment building into fancier digs in a more upscale neighborhood in New York City. No one wanted to live in the new building on account of rumors of it being haunted, and so it was devised by their landlord that they would all move up to the new place if they could tolerate the supposed hauntings. Now, this is a great setup for a short story, because you go into it thinking that you're going to get another ghost story. The author even goes so far as to give you somewhat a somewhat mysterious death of the original owner of the house, and describes the sorts of things that the tenants of the house are expecting to see once they move in. Spectral hands, rattling suits of armor, uh, rattling chains, that sort of thing. Very classic gothic horror material. But what you actually get in this story is that the main character is attacked by something, and then once he manages to get the upper hand on it in combat, in complete darkness, he flicks on the light to find that it is invisible. Dun dun dun! And I'll read the section that introduces the invisible monster um, to the narrator now to give you that feeling of that, that discovery of the invisible thing. Never losing my hold for an instant, I slipped from the bed to the floor 
dragging my captive with me. I had but a few steps to make to reach the gas burner. These I made with the greatest caution, holding the creature in a grip like a vice. At last, I got within an arm's length of the tiny speck of blue light which told me where the gas burner lay. Quick as lightning, I released my grasp with one hand and let on the full flood of light, and then I turned to look at my captive. I cannot even attempt to give any definition of my sensations in that instant after I turned on the gas. I suppose I must have shrieked with terror, for in less than a minute afterward my room was crowded with the inmates of the house. I shudder now as I think of that awful moment. I saw nothing. Yes, I had one arm firmly clasped around a breathing, panting, corporeal shape. My other hand gripped with all its strength a throat as warm and apparently fleshy as my own. And yet, with this living substance in my grasp, with its body pressed against my own, and in the bright glare of a large jet of gas, I absolutely beheld nothing. Not even an outline. A vapor. Now, the monster is described as having the weight of a 14-year-old boy, perhaps not really such a heroic struggle if that's as big as it was, but he does say it's incredibly muscular, hairless, and once they get a plaster cast of its features, they see how hideously ghoulish it is in appearance. Now, if you want to know what they do with a monster once they have it, I'll encourage you to read the story. It's an extremely short read. I knocked it out on a lunch break at work. I found a scanned copy of the original publication on WorldCat, which I'll link to in the notes for this show if you want to read it for yourself. And additionally, there's also a mega pack available from Wildside Press that contains this and other detective stories, or rather occult detective stories, if you're looking to get a big bunch of them at once and kind of see what this whole thing's about. So, what's the legacy of what was it? Well, Early stories that probably drew inspiration from the story may have been things like uh, Guy de Maupassant's The Horla, which is an intense narrative about a powerful invisible entity working against mankind. And although I've recently discovered what was it was not translated into French at the time, um, for, for Guy to have read it, um, I, I still think those two are really pretty linked. So while the claim that maybe it's it's an inspiration is a bit much, I, I do think it's worth reading the two if you want to get a sense of what what the kind of invisible monster stories people were reading at the time. Um, you also have Ambrose Bierce's The Damned Thing, which is far more scientific in nature and revolves around a deadly animal that has evolved to be a color that the human eye cannot see, which was published in 1886 and, and well, was published in 1886 and uh, The Damned Thing was published in 1893, respectively. In more modern times, uh, we could look at maybe the dinosaur in Crichton's The Lost World with chameleon or cuttlefish-like color-changing abilities. Whatever is stalking the various characters in Mark C. Danielewski's House of Leaves, or even the witch in The Blair Witch Project, or the predator in the Alien and Predator series. The invisible monster is alive and well in our culture, becoming somewhat of an unwelcome or unoriginal trope if it's not presented well enough. But there was a time, as we have seen, that this was far from the case, so kudos to Fitzjames O'Brien for yet another cutting-edge creative idea. If you enjoy this podcast and learning about the strange works of horror that have brought us to where we are today, I implore you to take a moment and rate or review the show. 
It'll help more people find out about it, and the more people we can get interested in this stuff, I think the better. And if you appreciate podcasts that are advertisement-free and want to say thanks, or make a recommendation for the show, feel free to email me at author at or click on the contact button on matthewtancic.com, and links for those will be in the show notes as well. And lastly, if you want to stay up to speed on this or any of my other creative projects, I am on Twitter. I tweet at Tans444, that's T-A-N-Z 444. Feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for joining me.